Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today, we're going to break down the All-22 Coaches film of the New York Giants offense. Obviously, on the next show, we'll be breaking down the defense. The Giants are coming off a really decisive victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. Multiple key stops, multiple key plays on offense, chunk yardage plays that led to this victory. This game could have gone even worse in my mind, and by worse I mean could have been an even bigger win for the Giants if they were a little more aggressive in some spots and some key fourth down spots, and if Darius Slayton doesn't drop that easy uh, pass on a really well-designed play by Jason Garrett, who will once again probably get a lot of kudos from myself and Nick on this podcast. Well, I won't speak for Nick, but that's at least my opinion. Um, this game could have got even more out of hand. I feel like the Giants had a really good grasp of what the Eagles wanted to do on offense. The Eagles found some solutions in the run game in the second half, and we'll talk about that on the next show. But overall, I felt like the Giants controlled this game from start to finish, and they got themselves a pretty handy victory, at least for them. This was a handy victory. So overall, now that you've seen the All-22, Nick, I'll start with my key takeaway, and then I'll get yours. My key takeaway is this. Daniel Jones was even better on the All-22 than I could have imagined. There were minimal moments of of, uh, pocket presence issues that I've seen in the past where he's either drifting to his left, felt like he was cleaned that up a lot in this game. He was more confident. He was quick with his feet, and he was decisive with the football. He read the defense well post-snap and pre-snap, multiple spots, and he was willing to throw the ball downfield on early downs and often, and he really didn't miss almost any throws in this game there was one somewhat inaccurate throw to Evan Ingram that was even a completion the ball where he was rolling to his left in the red zone he had Ingram I still don't know why the design is for him to roll left there if he sits in that pocket I think it's a touchdown we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later but ultimately one maybe two bad plays from Jones in this game max this was as close to perfect as it can get and it looked even better on film than it did on the first 
watch of it after we discussed on the immediate takeaways pod. So that's my key takeaway. I'll start with that. Jones, to me, even better here than he was uh, on broadcast. And it's funny, too, because on the quick takeaways pod, we were kind of knocking Jones a little bit for two passes. Well, after reviewing the All-22, neither of those passes were his fault. The one Andrew Thomas kind of got backed right into his lap. That was a Darius Slayton throw. And the other was the Austin Mack play where the pass was a little bit behind Mack and Mack made an excellent adjustment. Well, the reason the pass was a little bit behind Mack was because there was a linebacker who was just coming right into that lane to either intercept that pass or knock it down. So that was a really excellent adjustment by both Mack and Daniel Jones to kind of put the ball on the outside to not allow a PBU or even possibly an interception there. Yeah, and on the Slayton throw, there was pressure in his face. Um, He was quick with his feet, though, and he was decisive to get that ball out there, I thought, which was excellent. And again, really for me in this game, I thought it was, that. that's probably my biggest takeaway, that Jones was even more impressive on film. I feel like if this is the version of Daniel Jones the Giants are going to get often, I can qualm my concerns that I had with him earlier this offseason. I don't know if this is going to be the version. I think what's interesting about this game was there he didn't really face too much pressure. He had a lot of clean pockets. Um, and that was partially because of him and his doing, what he read before the snap and what he read in some spots after the snap. I also thought it was partially because of Jason Garrett, who had a much better game plan. I think when Garrett has this kind of game plan where he's willing to attack early in the downs, first down and long, second, first down and 10, I should say, second down and long, and there were multiple spots where he was, if you look at the play to Tate on the first and 10, that's basically a four verts route. It's not technically because Ingram's running that deep in, but it's four vertical concepts running down the field. And what did we say last week, or what did I say last week? His best two throws against the Washington football team came on basically four vert concept plays. I think that this is the best style of offense for Jones. I think get more aggressive. Don't You don't have to worry about getting to the sticks. And early on, the Eagles sat on those sticks routes. And the Giants ran a few on the early downs, and they adjusted in the second half. And I give credit to Daniel Jones for that, but I also give credit to Jason Garrett for that. And I hope there's more of the same. I hope they can kind of flip that mindset even more so in that direction of we don't need to move the chains. We don't need to always be focused on moving the chains, taking the easy solutions, taking the, the, the highest likely solution. Because, listen... If you can find a solution that may result in an incomplete pass down the field, you're not trying to – you don't win if you complete those at the exact same rate as you complete the six-yard button hook. You win if you complete maybe one of every three of those shots downfield instead of the three in a row, the six-yard button hooks that – at this point, aren't even a gimme anymore because so many teams are sitting at the sticks. You look at some of these routes and they just – some of these big plays, I'm saying, that Jones hit, and there were examples of the Eagles playing the sticks on a lot of these wide receivers. Either that or playing single high and the rest of the defenders playing the sticks. They played an aggressive game plan to try to stop this quick game, and the Giants made him pay for it. And th- that was the difference in this game in my mind. In a more aggressive attack, which obviously, like you've said in the past, Nick, does require better pass protection, and they got that. But in some of these spots, the Tate throw, the Shepard throw, and the Slayton throw, the one that we criticized on the, on the you know, it wasn't the best ball placement, but like, like we said, after reviewing it, that wasn't as much his fault. He made a quick decision there. His feet are quick in, on those plays, and he's decisive on those plays. And he doesn't really need a pocket. When you look at those plays over and over, he really doesn't need too much of a pocket. The Tate one is the, one I, the only one I could argue that he needs a little bit of a pocket. The Shepard ball and the Slayton ball, neither of those, those are both very quick decisions by Jones. And I don't think you really need great protection on either of those to take that shot downfield. So I hope to see more of that moving forward. I hope that's what this offense becomes more of because I think that's where Jones is at his best. But that was what stood out the most to me. 
Also, things that we've kind of criticized about Daniel Jones in the past is him locking on to the first read. He did such a good job with his eyes right after the snap to kind of hold the middle of the field closed, that single high safety, in place just long enough to create a one-on-one on the outside. That's what happened with the deep Sterling Shepard 27-yard pass. He looks just looks to his right, sees the coverage, sees the leverage, comes off of that, knows he has a deep one-on-one with that middle of the field safety kind of held there, and then he fires. And the ball placement here is excellent on that pass. Outside shoulder, high, perfect for Sterling Shepard, who does an excellent job just winning at the line of scrimmage and winning up the route against Avante Maddox. And then the very next play, he comes back with Golden Tate and does something similar with his eyes to kind of help manipulate that coverage and force a one-on-one because he thinks he's going to have the horizontal cross to Evan Ingram from that same side of the field. But the middle of the field closed safety just bites down hard on it. So he comes off of that after double clutching, knows he has the one-on-one, fires the ball high and outside to Golden Tate who makes an excellent grab. It was a well-placed ball and it's Jones being quicker with his decisions. This is what you and I have talked about, Dan. We need him to be quicker with his decisions right after the snap. Come off your first read, find somebody else who's going to be open based on the coverage that you see. And he did an excellent job doing that in this game. You're 100% right. And I think not only was are those, those should those plays be commended for one, he's quicker and more decisive, two, the ball placement is really good. And you have to understand something. This is arm talent. When you could throw the ball with that kind of placement, especially from the base that he had on both throws, neither is a fully, none of these plays have fully clean pockets. It's showing off really good arm talent to get those balls in that spot. A lot of the times when you see quarterbacks failing at the NFL level, they try to make these throws and the ball ends up landing on the inside shoulder of the receiver right in play for the defensive back to either make a PBU or at times an interception. We saw this a lot with Kyle Loletta when the Giants were trying to work him in during the preseason and he just couldn't hit these throws. Daniel Jones is exceeding my expectations when it comes to the arm talent, but also what I really liked about his big plays in this game and his throws in this game is that I thought I saw some serious improvement from the footwork standpoint, from the base down. Now, I always have felt like since the start, Jones has been really mechanically sound upper body. That is part of his work with David Cutcliffe. Obviously, he works hard at that as well. But the lower half to me has had some problems. But what I'm starting to notice about Jones is, and this is why I like that he's getting a lot quicker with his reads pre and post-snap, because again, a lot of this is based on what he's seeing pre-snap and it's being confirmed post-snap. That's fair to say. But some of it, like you said, is him reading the safety driving down or him knowing the leverage that he has, like on the shepherd play, to throw that ball to his outside shoulder. But what I like a lot about it is that the footwork issues for me are more so when Jones, when the, when there is good coverage and, you know, there's not much open and Jones has to stand in the pocket for a while, then he starts to drift to his left or then maybe he escapes to his right. And then the footwork starts to get a little sloppy. But when he's quick with it, I mean, on these throws, the throw to Slayton, the throw to Shepard, and the throw to Tate. On all three of those throws, if you just watch his lower body, he's so he has no wasted movement there. It's just a really good job to kind of use very small steps with his feet while staying on base and giving himself a platform to throw from. He doesn't have wide feet. When, a lot of times when you watch some of the young quarterbacks who really struggle with ball placement, it's because their feet are basically like four feet, five feet apart. Look at some of the clips people have put up or, or some of the screenshots of Baker Mayfield on some of his really bad throws this season that people have kind of you know criticized on Twitter and whatnot. You will look at his feet on them. They're so wide apart. On all three of these throws, and including the Shepard one that you know, um, both Nick and I put up on Twitter earlier this week, the one where he comes back across from the from the left hash and throws it all the way to the sideline uh, for a twelve yard gain to Shepard. On all of them, his feet are his feet are not too wide apart, and it really gives him an opportunity in my mind to 
throw these balls with good placement and really good accuracy. And in all four spots, he throws them with really good ball placement and accuracy. His feet, his hips, and his shoulders are all traveling with his eyes and where he intends to throw the football. And on that play that you just mentioned, first and 10, first quarter, 5.03 left. It was just a 12-yard completion to Sterling Shepard. But he does a full field progression here. This isn't something that we're used to seeing from Daniel Jones, but he looks to the middle of the field to see what the safety's doing, read that route, then he comes off it to the number two receiver after he sees that that tight end is not open with Evan Ingram. He comes to the number two receiver, and that forces number 24, Darius Slay, kind of off Sterling Shepard because number two receiver, Golden Tate's running deep, and that's going to be Darius Slay's responsibility, but then the underneath defender's also distracted by Golden Tate, leaving Sterling Shepard wide open, and Daniel Jones drives this ball from the far hash on a line right to Shepard, and Shepard's able to pick up the first down. I mean, that is a really impressive throw. That is a really impressive ability to diagnose what he's seeing, and a really impressive ability to just kind of go through each route, understand what he's seeing, and then react. It's just another play, kind of like we were talking about before, that he did this at a high level, something that we've hoped to see him do more consistently this season and again did it again this game man and it's been great yeah for sure and I think that like some of the throws from an arm talent standpoint the one to Deion Lewis that we also put up on Twitter it's the third and five play from the Giants own seven yard line backed up key play in this game 456 remaining in the second quarter and this play is kind of similar I read on you know I saw this on Twitter and I remember this from watching Daniel Jones film it's kind of similar to a play he made against Virginia and he I love what I love the most about Jones on this play is that you're starting to see him slow down from you're starting to see the game slow down mentally for Jones on a play like this because he reads the defense pre-snap and he makes an adjustment it looks like he has a freedom to make the audible on this play and he sends the running back in motion to the far hash and he knows based on after sending the running back out there and based on the, how the defense shifts with the corner going to play him outside and with basically just an edge lined up over the receiver, what it means is the receiver who's in the slot there and is running basically a curl or not a curl, sorry, like a flat route to the, to, to like a flat out route. He can't cover ground to cover that out route and the vertical route from Dion Lewis there on the outside. So Jones just fits the ball right over the top of that corner. But obviously to the outside shoulder so that safety who can break on the ball because he's just eyeing Jones and starts to play and and basically is in a too high look by the start of the play on his side of the field can't get there because it's a back shoulder throw and that's just an awesome play and I think that showed off his arm talent and also showed off his ability to process more pre-snap make the necessary audible to get the Giants in a play that can be successful here and some say you know he had the out route with with the receiver too that might have got to the sticks but this is the better ball this is the really impressive throw here it's about putting defenders in conflict we talked about that a lot on this podcast just in general and number 29 who's over tate has to kind of bounce outside when Deion Lewis gets motioned out there, and no one really covers. The linebacker shifts, but the leverage that Tate has on that linebacker outside for an out route is going to be excellent. So they basically put Deion Lewis outside, and they run an Ohio concept, just an out route and then a vertical, and that puts 29, Avante Maddox, into conflict because he has to choose. I'm either going to bite down on this out route, or I'm going to have to kind of drop to this vertical, or I could just kind of sit on the out route and then hope Daniel Jones doesn't put a perfect ball in the hole right between the safety and myself. And that's kind of what Daniel Jones did. So it was an excellent throw, and it was an excellent just reading of the defense, as you alluded to before. Because if you watch this play, you could see 29 kind of jump up a little bit like he's trying to jump the out route, and that just allows Deion Lewis to have that much more space to get to the sideline. Beautiful throw to the back shoulder. Yeah, and I don't want to take anything away from the ball placement on 
the Shepard ball we discussed earlier, the deep ball on that second and 10, or the Tate ball that came right after it, those two back-to-back plays. But you can see that from some quarterbacks around the NFL, the ability to kind of throw that style of pass, that type of pass, that back shoulder down the field. It's not very easy. But these two throws, the one to Deion Lewis on the route that we just discussed on the back shoulder in that hole shot between the safety and over the top of the cornerback. And then the throw we talked about earlier where he literally has his feet at the time of the launch point on the left hash and is able to drive the football all the way back to the right side of the field right at the sideline on a line those are the type of throws that i don't see from every quarterback in the nfl i think it's a different style of arm talent i think it's a plus 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 arm talent and it's not what i expected out of jones coming out of duke you saw some like i said that lewis route he, he had a really good play of that i forgot the game i think it was virginia or virginia tech one of the two where he had a similar play that really worked for him at duke um, and then someone mentioned in my mentions that the play that he where he came back to Shepard, um, they saw that on his tape at Duke as well. I didn't, I don't remember it or I missed it. But the point is, he's able to throw. And again, these conditions weren't, you know, it wasn't Steelers Bengals windy, it wasn't Texans Cleveland windy, but it wasn't great weather last Sunday. It was cold, and it was and it was brisk. And Carson Wentz, by the way was not on for a lot of this game. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Wentz in the defensive podcast because I have a lot to say there, but... <laughs> it's kind of gross, man. I mean, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll get into it yeah. on the defensive podcast. Make sure you guys download and listen. More importantly, download, please. Yeah, <laughs> give us the download there. Shout out to some new listeners, including... Uh, we'll break now to say a shout out to Glock Roach, who is a new listener of Big Blue Banter. So you get a shout out. All you have to do... This is how easy we are. All you have to do is tell us that you're a new listener and... That we're that you're a subscriber and you and we earned a subscriber and you're gonna get a shout out on this pod um, and especially when you drop in a side note what that W2F were those ads I was driving in Pin <laughs> Skip so I was ear raped for five minutes there's been a long discussion a long thread that I've enjoyed quite thoroughly on Twitter this week bashing Nick's ad reads where are my like, defenders at that's what I want to <laughs> not know. a single defender a, in not sight not a single defender not one defender in sight. Just total bashing. There's about been five or six bashers just ripping into the, the, the loudness of the ad reads, ripping into the way he reads it, the voice. I mean, this guy was born with this voice. You think he can prevent this? He, you know, listen, man, I, I was born with a big nose. I can't do anything about that. I have to live with that. Nick was born with this voice. Yeah, he could turn it down a little bit. Yeah, he can drop the volume a little bit. But this is his voice, guys. you got to give him a break. I think guys got to understand these ad reads are supposed to be over the top. Now, I just go over, over the top, but... This episode, the ad reads will probably still be annoying. I'm just going to let you guys know because I already did the ad reads. But future reference, I'm going to kind of tone my voice down. I don't want anybody crashing their cars because I'm freaking <laughs> screaming at them about BetOnline and Indeed.com. Well, all you'll know is that MYG Glocks will get air rape, ear raped for five minutes. And, and you, can, you, can, you, you can use the language, I guess. I forgot this is a family show. Hopefully for the dads out there listening in their kitchen or living room your kids didn't hear that or they don't know what that word is now i do feel a little bit bad about that but we had to bring up nick's uh the bashing of nick's ad reads this week because it was definitely a topic of discussion uh off pod and before we continue this though (laughs) ladies and gentlemen let's actually take a quick break to hear a word from me reading a bunch of ads (laughs) that you guys totally love 2020 has reshaped how we work and it's almost over businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient which means every hire is critical indeed 
is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world, with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time. And there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month, according to Comscore. Again, total visits. So it's clear Indeed can help get you the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing, buddy. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day. Head to BetOnline online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Okay, Nick, so I want to transition a little bit off Jones specifically and onto something else, a major concept with this offense. That's Jason Garrett, because I think that while a case can certainly be made that, again, Jones is learning a new system, it's now week nine, the pass production is starting to improve, and that's a really good sign for the future. Like, okay, is it all slowing down for him in this system, and did it just need some time? I also think Garrett is evolving his system, and one key way Garrett's evolving his system, and one key way that I want to give Garrett a lot of credit for something that Pat Shermer did not succeed in doing, utilizing Daniel Jones for the total prospect that he is, not just the thrower he is. And yes, I like the fact that Garrett is getting more aggressive on early downs and second and long situations and using more of these four vertical type concepts, because that's what I ultimately believe is the best way to play football. But I also like the fact that he has done a really good job working in the zone read running game with Daniel Jones. The Giants hit two massive plays in this game with Jones as a runner. The first touchdown, obviously, but also the second touchdown, where it was called back by an Andrew Thomas hold, which can go here or there. I'm not sure if it was a hold. Whatever. It can be called. It cannot be called. The point is, it was really well designed on both plays. There's These are some really awesome concepts. If you watch every single lineman, or every single player, I should say, who's on the line, because the Giants 
ultimately have tight ends making plays here pulling they have people bluff blocking on the first touchdown run Austin Mack 81 makes an incredible seal block against a linebacker that he has no business being able to seal off and if he doesn't seal that blocker off 57 on the play it's not a touchdown it's a loss of two the guy's going to make the play but Austin Mack comes in and saves the day with an awesome seal block and they got people bluffing where you've got people pulling faking like they're going to get the end and then coming out and and taking the uh and taking the the edge guy who's the corner on the play or sorry the boundary guy who's the corner on the play and these designs both of them both touchdowns obviously one was called back but both touchdowns are just really unique, really diverse, and really do an excellent job of maximizing Daniel Jones's skill set as a runner. And that's kudos to Garrett and the coaching staff because this is an excellent way to use it. If you draft a Daniel Jones, don't just make him a drop back passer. He has the ability to impact the football game as a runner. They're at the 36 or 34 or whatever it was on that first touchdown. How many times have the Giants gotten down to the red zone and bogged down and either been forced to punt from really weird spots that I don't agree with or kick long field goals? To get touchdowns in this league is really hard. The reason the Giants lost so many games at the beginning of the season is because they settled for too many field goals. There's no doubt in my mind that's the reason they lost a lot of these games. And now that they're converting touchdowns, this is a way to help them convert touchdowns. They really should have scored two touchdowns on this exact style of offense, this zone read run game with their quarterback in this game. And that ultimately makes a big difference. So for zone read, for those of you who don't know, The objective for Daniel Jones is to read the end man on the line of scrimmage through the mesh point. So what Daniel Jones is doing, if you guys see this play, it's always at a shotgun. What the running back does is he takes a little hitch step, and then he goes right in front of the quarterback. What the quarterback does is he takes the ball, puts it in front of him, and then he looks. And what he's looking at is that end man on the line of scrimmage who's always going to be unblocked. Now, that end man on the line of scrimmage stays put, which he's supposed to. That's gap discipline. Then Daniel Jones hands it off, which we see plenty of times, and Wayne Gallman or whomever takes it and hopefully picks up some yardage. Now, that end man on the line of scrimmage crashes down, which the Eagles do so much because A, they're undisciplined, and B, they're uber-aggressive. Then Daniel Jones keeps it, and he runs around the edge. And that's what happened on this play. Josh Sweat, number 94, just crashes down so hard. And Daniel Jones is really good at sticking the ball into the stomach and the gut of his running backs and then pulling it out and securing it. And then he sees Josh Sweat crash down. He keeps it right around. Austin Mack takes out the linebacker, like Dan said. And then he has a lead blocker in Caden Smith because he's an H-back from the field side of the formation. It's a really nice play design. It's a play design they use quite often. In recent games, and it's also something that they had success doing against the Eagles. If you remember the 80-yard run, it was the same type of play design. I don't know if it was the same formation, but it's something that you should utilize because you're eliminating that backside defender. Say Daniel Jones never runs the ball, but just by running that zone read and just by having the legs and the opportunity to do what Daniel Jones can do, that holds that backside defender, which basically just you have a defender that you don't have to block because he's being read. So that defender is just held in place by Daniel Jones's eyes. And that's kind of the point. Now you have more blockers to go up against less defenders. So that's the whole point of a zone read. We were saying it earlier on. We wanted to see more and more of this. And Garrett's been doing a really good job implementing this into the system, just using Daniel Jones's legs. And the Eagles, for whatever reason, just being undisciplined, they really struggled to stop Daniel Jones. Jones kept it a bunch of times in the red zone, too. Took some licks that I was like, oh, geez, hopefully he doesn't end up getting hurt with these things. But you're right, man. This is definitely really encouraging. And great job by C.J. Board on this touchdown play. Great job by Austin Mack. Excellent blocks down the field. And great job by the puller, Caden Smith, the H-back who comes from the opposite side. What I like so much about that is the end crashing down, Josh Sweat. And again, 
Also, great job to Garrett for game planning against this, knowing that the Eagles are undisciplined and super aggressive. But what I love about this, he pulls around the side from the other, uh, from the right side of the formation, Caden Smith, and he fakes like he's going to block the edge crashing down and makes it kind of look like the edge beats him to the inside. That just flows another defender to the inside, and instead, Caden Smith is there to take out 21. If Caden Smith just blocks down on the edge here and blocks down on 94, this is not going to go for much. Even though Austin Mack does an excellent job crashing down to take 57 out of the play and seal him off, Jones is going to get knocked down by 21. He's going to get cut down. But this is just a really excellent design by Garrett and Colombo to have 82 fake 94 the crashing end and let him just crash on in because who cares and then instead go all the way around loop around and take out 21 another interesting thing I thought about this play was that it's really also a great job by Daniel Jones because if he doesn't read this right and he does hand the ball off well Shane Lemieux gets absolutely <laughs> shit canned on this play literally beat off the snap within a half second and 97 is coming right in to literally stop doing uh wing gallman for a loss of two so instead of having a second and long from your own 38 it's literally a 36 yard swing here because he's able to get the touchdown and there were also times at different points in this game where like you said the threat of daniel jones did actually keep in at keep the edge from crashing and that led to some big plays in the run game and a couple times, yes, the edge was smart enough to read it well and crash down and make big uh, There was one Alfred Morris play they almost hit where that was kind of a similar situation. But they're using it. They're working them off of each other. They're working the zone read off of each other really well. And the times he keeps it, the times he doesn't keep it. And it's leading to more big plays, not only for Daniel Jones in the running game, but for the Giants running backs as well. Yeah, and that Caden Smith, that's kind of like a bluff of a split zone yeah. look, which is something that you see a lot in split zone. You have that H-back comes, he takes out, kind of kicks out that end man on the line of scrimmage. So Caden Smith kind of fakes that, gets to the second level and takes out 21. You just, you love to see this type of uh, play design. And I thought Garrett had a lot of solid play designs in terms of using motion and pre-snap looks to kind of hold those linebackers and make them hesitate just enough there were a couple different plays where that happened where the Giants were able to pick up first downs on second downs and even third downs which I really like to see and also the Eagles just I mean we spoke about it a little bit before undisciplined I mean they had on offense a ton of false starts they had a bunch of encroachment penalties too so the Giants were able to capitalize on those dumb mistakes by Philadelphia yeah no doubt about it and I think really a guy who took a lot of crap from me earlier this season and Jason Garrett and a guy who Nick stuck up for when no one else was, starting to come into uh, it's starting to come to fruition for what Nick's take was because Garrett's really improving as we move forward. Now I don't want to call it over, and I don't want to take a victory lap for the Garrett side of this because if he starts to go back to the ways of just throwing to the sticks again uh, too early and too often, and on too many of those second and long situations, and first and you know first and long second and long situations. I'll go right back off the bandwagon because I do believe that if you look at the tape, man, if he's watching this tape, if they're and they are watching this tape, obviously, but it's really hard to watch this tape and not come away thinking that this offense is at its best when it's using those four vert concepts and when it's taking these shots downfield on early down situations instead of waiting for third down situations because that's where all the big plays are coming from. That's where Daniel Jones reading it the best and it's just working better than the quick stuff in my mind at least and it just gives you so much more upside you hit five of those pat those six yard curls at the sticks it's not going to give you the same thing as any of the big plays the giants were able to hit to kind of flip the script in this game and i think they're evolving in that sense i really do and i think when you combine that with what they've been able to do in the run game lately 
partly because of what we said with his own read coming into it, but also partly because they're using more power and gap and they're doing a really good job blocking on simple run plays that the Giants have used, you know, all season or they're starting to use even more of as the season progresses and as these players block more together. They have the same guys on the field. The continuity starts to grow. Obviously, they've made some changes at guard and, you know, they did have somewhat of a tackle rotation until this week. But I think you're starting to see improvement there from Garrett for sure. One reason, though, why they can't take a lot of those deep shots all the time and in a lot of the games, a lot of the previous games, is because a lot of teams were playing too high yes. safety. Yes. And yes. it was a, very difficult for Daniel Jones to to throw the ball, throw these four verts against too high safety, especially if they're playing man underneath, or even if they are playing like a deep kind of zone to the sticks, and especially when your offensive line can't really block. So it's also what the defense is doing. And that also goes back to the Saquon Barkley effect. When you have Saquon Barkley, that usually forces another defender into the box, creating more more advantageous passing lanes for the quarterback and for the receivers and that's why we saw last year Daniel Jones kind of have a lot of success especially against man coverage throwing downfield on those one-on-one matchups like we saw in this game whenever the Eagles did line up in the middle of the field close single high type of look yeah and you're 100% right about that I think people need to understand that and take that into consideration both the Eagles and Washington football team are a more aggressive different style of defense they really stuck to their guns and what they believe in within their system instead of kind of game planning to in my mind at least do what's best against Daniel Jones which really is playing a lot of that too high stuff because right now without Barkley it's it's a really nice it's a really nice way to beat him and I think he really does such a better job manipulating stuff post snap when there's one high safety there I think it's just he reads it much better um and we'll see if that continues it's just going to depend on the defenses i think i think some defenses play it just to their to their book like washington and philly just plays their style of defense it's not really matchup based it's what they have and i can't wait honestly nick after the bye week to see the giants offense against a team like the Bengals, who just had tack mckinley fail his physical carlos dunlap's no longer the team who knows what's going on with geno atkins that is an atrocious defense i saw someone today on twitter uh tweet out and it was, couldn't have been a truer statement from the few you know times i've watched the Bengals defense that the Bengals defense is literally just jesse bates running around with his head chopped off trying to put out like 17 fires on every single on every single snap jesse bates is one of the most underrated players in the nfl without I, a doubt i love watching that guy play but also one player can't make a defense yeah. is william jackson good anymore he might be but when you have the, yeah. the problems they have on the front seven it's just it's it's mind-boggling they're one of the wor- talent wise they're just one of the worst defenses in the nfl and it's not working at, you know, you don't get rid of Carlos Dunlap and expect to, exactly. to to get better on that side of the ball. So it'll be really interesting. This is really going to be the first, I would say, like even close to easy matchup the Giants' offense has had all season, which is crazy because they've gone so far into this season and they really haven't faced a really easy front. Washington, Philly. I mean, Dallas. You can argue, but yeah, Dallas had a lot of talent on that. And, front. and the thing is, Jalen Smith, for whatever reason, had I'm, an unreal game. Unreal yeah. game against the Giants. Yep. And I watch him play on like Sunday Night Football. He looks freaking lost. I'm like, what yeah. the hell's Jalen Smith doing? He's I guess had an overall bad season, Jalen Smith, but he had a game of his life against the Giants in that game, which is is what it is. He had a really good game. Kudos to him. But even so, they still have talent on their defensive line a lot more than some of the, the you know the Bengals. This is going to be a really good spot for them. I'm excited to see them against the the Seahawks secondary at some point later on in this season so finally the schedule opens up a little bit from that standpoint so it'll be interesting to see but yeah you're right a lot of this a lot of why we like what we've seen with these big plays and these four vert concepts against the washington football team the two big plays there the four or five big passing plays there are because teams are not playing so much too high against jones which is which is what it is but eventually he'll obviously have to find a solution to beat too high as well um, but you know that that's another day for another story. I mean that requires 
probably more talent at wide receiver, probably the return of Barkley at some point, um, or just honestly continued progression from the run blocking. And let's not forget that the continued progression from the run blocking. If you continue to establish the point of attack on the line of scrimmage, you're going to kind of force defenses to drop that guy down, which could be one reason why Philly was playing a little bit less too high was because on that opening drive, which again, Jason Garrett, another great opening script. And you have to applaud Jason Garrett for that. He had another great opening script and they were able to establish the run and break off a couple different type of runs. You're running gap power, you're running duo, and they're having a lot of success doing so. So uh, that's another big part of it. If they can continue owning that line of scrimmage, you're going to probably give Jones a lot more opportunity to have that single high look, hopefully have outside the divider one-on-one matchups with Shepard and some of the other receivers on this team that have really taken advantage of it. I should say, uh, instead of Shepard, Slayton, who really kind of thrived in that role last season. Yep. All right, so we talked Daniel Jones, who we both feel pretty much had close to as perfect a game as he can have at this point. I mean, PFF graded him out as the number one passer in week 10 from a clean pocket. And I think number two overall, I think he was like 18 of 18 from a clean pocket. So when they had the protection, Jones was just on the money all game. Obviously didn't take a million shots. It was This is not like a team that's thrown for 450 yards in a game. They don't need to. That's what happens when you play good defense, and we'll get to that on the next show. We talked about that. We talked about Jason Garrett, both his aggressiveness earlier in the game, his great opening script, which he gets credit for, uh, his ability to adjust to what the defense was showing, especially plant game planning wise to use the zone read in really good spots. Let's talk a little bit about the offensive line now. Let's talk about some of the players there. I can give you some overall takeaways that I had and see where they align. I think there's. I think that the Giants still are are better team moving forward with Hernandez versus Lemieux. I like some of what I saw from Lemieux, specifically in the run game, but I'm still seeing some reps. I talked about the one, the the Daniel Jones touchdown, the zone read, where he just got absolutely destroyed. There were multiple reps I thought where he just got completely destroyed off the point of attack, and that's not totally rare, especially when you're going against a, a two, you know, an interior defensive line like the Eagles have built. I mean, even on the flip side, you saw some reps where like B.J. Hill made Jason, or, yeah, made Jason Kelsey look like a chump and Jason he's one of the better centers in the NFL so you know you can win you can win and lose reps here or there but I just don't see it ultimately with Lemieux from at least as far as versus Hernandez like I get it the offensive line as a whole has played better and you know there are times it seems like Lemieux does a better job pulling um, and he's really aggressive in in between there he's a really aggressive run blocker but I think Hernandez is in some ways as well there he's also a bit nasty in that regard so that's probably my takeaway there I think Andrew Thomas continues to play much better I think out of the three games that we look at these last three games for Thomas where he hasn't been a massive liability this was definitely the worst of the three I think and I'll see what you say on that I actually know your take on that because we discuss it but I'll you'll go more in depth on that I know you agree with me on that I think it's pretty obvious if you just look at the all 22 um, and I think you know this game is a good example I had a key to my notes of why maybe we're not seeing Pert take over yet as the full-time starter he had a third and there was a third and two play from the Giants 23 right in the first quarter 1047 where this play might go for something on the back side with Shepard on the comeback because Shepard once again creates an unbelievable amount of separation with his release off the line of scrimmage but Pert gets beat and the pressure is right in Jones's face and Jones is unable to complete the pass as he looks back to Tate now Jones wasn't looking at Shepard when this happened he looked back to his right side but I believe if there's a fully clean pocket there he might be able to work back to the left and hit Shepard on that comeback 
um, for the first down. So I think that was the case there. I think with Zeitler before the injury, it's just more of the same, man. Like, I just don't know what PFF sees when they watch this guy. I don't know what anyone sees who wants to move on from him. I think he's clearly the most consistent and best offensive lineman. It's not like the most flashy stuff. He's not like Quinton Nelson in there, but <laughs> he doesn't have to be. And as far as Gates goes, just to kind of wrap up my take on these five offensive linemen, or I guess six, because we can also talk a little bit about Cam Fleming, I think has done an okay job, at least a little bit more consistent at times than Pert in the passing game. Um, But as far as Nick Gates goes, there's some really, really good stuff on tape every week. There's some huge flashes with Gates, but there were a couple reps with Gates where where there was a nose lined up right over him, and he struggled in those two reps. I remember two specifically where they had a nose lined up right over him at the point of attack, which is what we've always discussed with Gates. Will he be able to hold up in that way? And he did struggle in that regard. He got beat really quickly. On one of them, he did a really good job of recovering. On the other two, or I think there were three that came to mind. On one of them, he did a really good job of recovering. On two of the others, on the other two, he got beat. Um, And that's going to happen. But I think that's ultimately what is going to happen when teams line up really good. Again, it has to be a really good nose. Like 91 was was Fletcher Cox on at least two of them, I think. And if it's Fletcher Cox against Nick Gates, what are you expecting? I mean, I'm not coming in there. I'm not going to come in and criticize Nick Gates for not being able to block Fletcher Cox one-on-one when he's lined up right over him. But I am going to say that that does give me at least somewhat of a limiting of a limitation when it comes to my viewpoint of Nick Gates moving forward and kind of pump the brakes at least on on some of the talk I've seen with Gates online and in, in such regard so that would be my overall takeaways pick it up wherever you want and then dive in wherever you want there yeah I guess we'll just start with Nick Gates yeah that play it was the first play of the fourth quarter Fletcher Cox is directly over Gates and Cox gets his hands inside of Gates so quickly and then establishes the half man while doing that pulling Gates towards the ground Gates like you said recovers really well here but by that point Cox has all the leverage to kind of run right directly into the pocket Gates does just enough to slow him down but the pass which is on target gets broken up by Darius Slay and probably the one rep that Slay definitely won on Darius Slayton because Slayton got him a couple times in this game but as for Nick Gates I I do come away intrigued like both of those touchdown runs one on the one yard line the other on the two yard line Gates overpowers his guy at the point of attack and drives him into the ground hard like we were talking about Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux very mean players a lot of grit a lot of competitive toughness Gates possesses that as well and I think I really think Gates can be the long-term center here now I'm not totally sold on it but if we go into next season with Gates as a starting center I don't think I'm gonna be like yo that's a position we definitely need to upgrade because this is this first year starting at center and that truncated offseason that we talk about and we're seeing progression remember against the Steelers and that's a very tough matchup we were talking about how Gates struggled mightily when I got dude this guy is not it there was talk we might need to go to pulley exactly and think about that folks think of (laughs) pulley Spencer pulley yes you heard that right we were at least considering the potential of Spencer pulley which is a disaster in itself to even consider in this especially you imagine pulley in this system away from the inside zone no, I can't. It, I no. can't even fathom. Imagine him, imagine pulley pulleying, yeah. <laughs> pulleying outside. Nah, but that's one thing Gates does really well on those double pullers, those G leads. Whenever he's a little bit uncovered and they can just pin pull him to the outside, he does a good job locating that second level defender and kicking him out aggressively. I think he excels there, and I think he can do a good job on these combo blocks, like. This rushing attack in general in this game, there was a lot of duo blocking and basically the foundation of duo blocking and just really blocking in general is you want to establish 
double teams. That's what you want to do. You want to create double teams. You want to get hip to hip and then have one of those players in the double team looking to the second level to transition and pick up that defender whenever the other offensive lineman can fully possess that block. And you can, if you turn on the All-22, Dan, I know you could definitely back me up here. You see just double teams at the point of attack and all you see is eyes looking at that second level. And then once the handoff happens and Gallman is about to get to the line of scrimmage, one of those linemen, whoever has the best path to the second level, climbs up to the second level to try and pick up the defender. So I really love the fact that they were able to do that. They get hip to hip and they do an excellent job kind of working in unison together. That's one thing that I can say about this specific offensive line unit. I don't personally think Will Hernandez is incapable of doing that, though. I, a lot of people point to Shane Lemieux and they see the success that he's had on the offensive line. It's the common denominator because the last three games they've kind of been able to control the point of attack. I don't necessarily believe that it's all just because Shane Lemieux, like I've said. I think Shane Lemieux has done excellent for a fifth-round pick, like I've said, in the run game. But the liabilities and pass protection are still there. And yeah. honestly, this game, I think, might have been his best game out of the three. Because I think the last two games were worse in terms of just getting beat with just getting beat flat out by a pass rusher because there are limitations there there are physical limitations there length a little bit of strength a little bit of technique a little bit of athleticism even though I do feel like he is good while pulling so I I like what Shane Lemieux has been able to do but if Will Hernandez is starting at left guard I'm not going to sit here and cry about it I think that that probably that's probably what should happen or you can just rotate them series by series and kind of play and see kind of ride the hot hand like coaches do for running backs you know yeah I mean I would just go right back to Will Hernandez when he's physically capable of or when they feel like he's physically over the COVID and back in lifting shape because remember when he was on the COVID list he wasn't able to use the facilities wasn't able to continue his lifting regime and wasn't able to eat with you know team cafeteria things like that just the little things that go into preparing yourself to play every week these are gladiators these are football players and they really have a long routine that goes into playing every week but I'd love to at least see it I'd love to put in I think ultimately a lot of the reason why the Giants have had so much success these last three weeks is if you look at it, the matchups haven't gotten that much better. Washington front, Philly front, Tampa Bay front, even without Vita Vea, it's still a tough front. The matchups have not gotten much better. And you could point to like the one common denominator, which you would say is like Lemieux playing for Hernandez. Or you could point to the fact that Nick Gates is probably playing his best football these last three weeks. Andrew Thomas is undoubtedly playing his best football these last three weeks. And why isn't that the common denominator? That literally two of your players who I don't want, I don't want to say Nick Gates was struggling. I mean, it's obvious Andrew Thomas was mightily struggling in the first five weeks of the season. I don't want to say like literally we put we talked about. It. I mean, he he had allowed the most pressures in the NFL through I think week seven, thirty seven, and the next. I still highest, think he does. I think he honest. still does. I mean, if you're yeah. at thirty, he was at thirty seven when the next highest was twenty. So he's gonna still probably be up there regardless of how the rest of his season goes. But the fact of the matter is. I think mostly what's happening is this running game is coming together. They're starting to gel. They're starting to use similar plays that are working, and they're starting to get good timing down with that and good chemistry and good rhythm. And it's so funny because it's like, well, before I I say this, I do want to say I do agree with you, by the way, on Nick Gates. I'm ultimately super excited about Gates moving forward for a lot of reasons because I think it's so hard to try to fill every position that a roster needs in the offseason. There's going to be spots like last year where there's really no – path at all for the Giants to upgrade at edge in my mind there was nothing I thought that was worth exploring in free agency and when it came to the draft like you could maybe have made a case for Julian Aquara, but like 
I don't even think you can actually look at yourself in the mirror and take him over Xavier McKinney, you know, just from a value standpoint. And then once you get to the third round, you're dealing with total projects when it comes to the edge position. So I didn't think they could have felt that. And like even center last year, like people were like, oh, why didn't the Giants take Matt Hennessy? I wasn't a big fan of Hennessy. I'm not sold that Hennessy would be playing better than Gates. I actually think ultimately Gates was playing the position this year better than Hennessy would have for the Giants. It's impossible to know. We'll never know that. Um, but I wasn't big on Hennessy. I thought he had play strength issues. And I know a lot of other people in the scouting community agreed with me on that. And we'll have to see where that goes. But I'm excited about Gates because I do think they're obviously the bar isn't set super high, Nick, but this is the best center play we've seen from the Giants in a really, really, really long time. There's flashes of greatness. Like, yeah, with Weston Richburg here for a little bit, especially his rookie season, he looked awesome, especially in that system that they were running at the time. But with Gates, there's just flashes of nastiness in the run game that are just so refreshing to see from a center. And he's always looking for work. He's starting to get a lot better, even in the passing game, recognizing when he needs to help and to move and to help his guys um, on some of these blocks. And like you said, I think the style of running game they use, that duo style, where it's just all about creating those double teams, works well for a player like Nick Gates as well. So I'm excited there. And I just want to say this. How, what what must it be like for Saquon Barkley to watch the Giants from his couch or wherever he's watching the games, the press box or some of them, and finally see the run blocking start to come together and gel and give these guys some like really legitimate holes to run through? It must be so crazy. I mean, he's played one what two and a half seasons or less than that, probably less than two full seasons with the injuries with his team. He's really never had the blocking look good for a small stretch during his rookie season in the back half. It was okay. And But I think, honestly, as Giants fans, I think we kind of inflated how good it was that second half of the season after they added Jamon Brown. They had some, like, okay plays. They look decent at times, but it's not looking like it has at points for long stretches now in these last three games and really these last two games as it starts to come together and as they start to create some really serious holes for these backs. And it's it's crazy to see, but, like, it's really – we're finally, I think, we're getting to the point where – and again, we have to see this now, I think, over the rest of the season for it to be real, in my mind, because we saw a small stretch of it, like I said, in 2018. But if they can finish off the season like this, in the direction they're trending now on the offensive line, we finally might be saying they're they're starting to really move in that direction of, they, are, did they fix the line? or are, Is this line fixed? Yeah. I mean, it, this is a bunch of young guys, so that kind of gives you a lot of a encouragement anyways. It's not a bunch of journeymen, free agents, or anything like that outside of Cam Flem, you have a bunch of young guys and who are, Gates. and well, Gates, I don't. But really not journeyman. Yeah, but he's. A free I consider him a, a young guy though. Like sure. he's he he's a building block for the offensive line. But yeah, I don't even know why he wasn't drafted. I mean, I guess it was the athleticism. Athleticism yeah. was pretty poor. The athleticism yeah. was really bad at the combine. I know that. But if you watched him play at Nebraska, he was a fucking good player. He was a really good player from the day he started there, and he started really early at Nebraska, and that's Big Ten football. So. Uh, yeah, so I I mean, yeah, he was an undrafted guy, but I kind of agree with you. He's more of a younger prospect with some promise. But anyway, go on. No, I'm just saying, I, I don't remember the last time I've been as excited about the offensive line as I have been in the last three games. And they were all against quality fronts. So I just hope that this consistency keeps up. I hope this is a product of Mark Colombo's message getting yes. through to all these guys. And I hope they can keep up with this diverse rushing attack where they're showing different looks and they're using pre-snap motion to hold certain players and they're using the zone read to 
kind of keep defenders on their toes because you have to respect Daniel Jones. So I, I just like the entire nature of what they're doing. And that Matt Parrott play, you were right, that was uh, the second quarter, third and two, 10-47 left. Parrott just kind of lets Brandon Graham, who's wide, he's in a wide nine, get into him, and then Parrott opens his hips just a bit too early, and he allows Brandon Graham to just win the half man. Brandon Graham uses a double swipe move here, gets to that outside shoulder, and then forces the pressure on Daniel Jones. Brandon Graham, just watching the film, He's such a an underappreciated player in my mind. I think he is just super smart. There was a play, and I don't have it offhand, but there was a play where the blocking was excellent. And Brennan Graham, if it was a normal edge, if he was a normal defensive lineman, would have just went over the top of the tackle. It would have been like a 25-yard gain because it's Alfred Morris, but if it was Wayne Gallman, it could have possibly been a touchdown. But instead, he read what was going on, saw the trapping backside yeah. guard. So instead of going over the top of the tackle... He undercuts it and then just tackles Wayne Gallman for like a three-yard gain. Little mental plays like that are excellent. I know Brandon Graham's not the flashiest. He's not the, the bend-edge type of player. But just from a mental processing standpoint, he's a very fun player to watch. Yeah, Brandon Graham's long been one of the more underrated edges in this game. And the Giants have made runs at Brandon Graham multiple times when he's hit free agency. They tried to get him this last time. I believe they tried to get him both times he's hit free agency. I know they tried to get him this last time. They came really close and ultimately he decided to resign in Philly would have been a really good player to have the Giants I mean there's times at this game when you watch the when you watch the defense we'll get to that in the next show where like it's just so funny to watch some of these guys like Sheard and, and Harris and then they put 51 there and occasionally Coughlin like they so clearly need to upgrade the talent at the edge spot and there's so many spots where like having an edge guy could make all the difference on some of these pass plays we'll get to that but like again a guy like Graham you're totally right about and I still think when it comes to the offensive line the exciting part about it for me is that I see the progression with Gates, yes. I see the progression with Thomas, yes. I ultimately think Evan Zeitler remains one of the more underrated players, not only on this roster, but I guess across the league by the way that I hear people talk about him. But ultimately, there's still why I'm so excited is there's still upside for more, Nick. They're not getting the most out of the right tackle position. And we both believe that that could really extend to upgrade if Pert fixes a few things and gets a little cleaner in his technique. We also think there's probably a chance that I mean, I still have some hope. I'm, it's waning, but I have some hope that Hernandez can be a player for them. It's waning for sure. Um, ultimately, for Lemieux, I kind of think like his ceiling is probably lower or the same as Hernandez's at best. I don't see, from an athleticism standpoint, I don't see him becoming like an all-pro guard by any means. Um, and Hernandez was originally billed as supposed to be that. I still have some hope with Hernandez. I don't know what it is with the dude. I, I. I I mean, is it, I don't think it's time to give up even in year three, especially because maybe he just, and what are the reasons, what was the reason we said we thought Hernandez was one of our like top three breakout candidates is because he was going back to power, a power gap blocking scheme, getting away from that bull, the BS inside zone that never suited his skill set. And really we had a small sample size to judge him on this year before he got COVID. It's not super small, but it wasn't great, especially when you consider he was playing next to a, a tackle who was struggling the, the entire time, basically when Hernandez was in before Hernandez got COVID. And ultimately, as Andrew Thomas got a lot better, which we also, again, don't think is related to Shane Lemieux, really, in our minds at least, 
Hernandez never really got to experience the improved uh, Andrew Thomas. And at the same time, we also kind of feel like Nick Gates' game is getting better weekly. That one's been that one's been more of a progression weekly rather than Thomas's, which has kind of all happened at once over these last three games. But either way, as he progresses, Andrew Thomas progresses, that could help a guy like Hernandez playing in between both of those two. So I, I'm still not, I still haven't given up there, and that still gives me hope for upside as well. Especially with Will Hernandez. He's just a, if we're comparing him to Shane Lemieux, check out anybody who has Game Pass, the fourth quarter, second and 10 with 4-10 left. It's when Will Hernandez had to come in, play left guard because Kevin Zeitler left the game. You can just kind of see how fluid Will Hernandez is in pass protection here. Gets his hands inside, and he just keeps the defender at length and just moves and mirrors him just effortlessly and every time the defender tries to kind of go around him will hernandez is just a brick wall standing in front of him i'm not saying will hernandez is a perfect prospect by any means but there is still value there in my mind he's definitely not a player i want to just give up on yeah and it's ultimately weird it's like almost i never expect this to be the case but it's almost like he's a little bit better or it flashes at least a little bit more to me in pass protection versus run blocking which is not what i would have expected coming out but it's kind of where they're at with him and we'll see if that continues. But I mean, and, he, and let's be honest, he had some really good blocks. Like the rare times they used him to pull these two years before Colombo got here, he had some nice blocks there. He wasn't terrible in that regard. But there's just not, I guess, those flashy plays you sometimes see from Gates or even Andrew Thomas has a couple of them really good ones in the run game, Fleming occasionally at times, Pert. So it's like you hope to see it at some point with with Hernandez and but I'm not giving up just yet there was a play in this game where Andrew Thomas helped Shane Lemieux it was a chip and climb up to the second level he helped Shane Lemieux Shane Lemieux makes contact with the defensive lineman and you could see he gets a little bit of push but Andrew Thomas comes in and just kind of chips him and the dude just falls over and Shane Lemieux just falls on top of yeah him. and it's just like dude you can just see like the raw power for Andrew Thomas when he when he's blocking down the when line of scrimmage down. when he's washing people down yep. the line of scrimmage like that and that's also where he's done a really much better job, I thought, when it comes to in pass protection. He's doing a really good job on these inside moves of washing them down. I thought, like, while I said this probably was not the best of the three improved games, it was still so much improved from what he's shown in those first five games when he was really struggling. And that's part of it. He's doing a much better job with the inside moves, and he's washing them down. And he they're not perfect reps, obviously, but they're good. They're keeping the, the, the edge away from the quarterback. I think the way he reacts throughout his rep handling counters has gotten yeah. so much better has become he, he's gotten so much better at handling counter moves and kind of reacting throughout a rep because I still think his punch his initial contact is somewhat erratic he'll give up his chest sometimes but there were a couple reps I put a little um montage I guess you could say I don't even know if that's the right way to phrase that Looking but montage montage okay yeah but I, you put together a, I put together a little group of his plays from this game and you could see one of them he washes the def, the edge player up the arc puts his out or his inside hand uh, or outside hand I should say on the small of his back controls his chest with his other hand and just effortlessly just glides him up the arc and then he does the same exact thing when the guy crashes inside he's controlling him that's how you're supposed to control when you're an offensive lineman you get the guy's chest you have the half man you put that other hand right on the small of their back what are they going to do they can't squirm out of that you have full control of them at that point you're controlling their entire body and you can kind of guide them wherever you want to go and Andrew Thomas was able to do that a couple times in this game and that's kind of what you want to see you want to see hey if I'm struggling with my technique early on throughout the rep it's not necessarily going to be an indictment on my play because I can overcome that by refining it throughout the rep now we just need him to be a bit more consistent with his technique and his footwork and those kind of things just all the time especially early on in a rep 
Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's wrap up with some discussion about the skill players. I want to start with the one who stood out by far the most to me, and that's Darius Slay and Big Play Slay, as I like to call him. Matched up for most of this game with Darius Slay, who, by the way, is now fully healthy, and when fully healthy, one of the best matchup cornerbacks in the NFL still in my mind. Top 10, top 15 at worst. And for the most part, Darius Slayton got the best of him in this game. The releases Slayton has off the line of scrimmage are so clean. You talked about it on the last podcast, the big play at the end of the game that really sealed the game off, um, the 40-yard reception where Jones kind of put it and he made that incredible adjustment. It's not just the adjustment, though. It's the release, man. It's like you said. He gives that little hesitation, so they try to stop on the route, and then boom, he shoots it over the top and he creates the separation. He creates separation on slant routes. He created separation on that deep slant early in the game that we talked about we love from jones the arm talent that where he kind of throws that ball with incredible anticipation zips it in there an insanely tight window and slayton's able to get into that tight window in the right spot and i just think ultimately yeah again he's not your like julio jones but he's an excellent player an excellent find and i thought he had one of his best games in the season wide receivers are all about nuance like the nuance of route running and how you kind of manipulate cornerbacks get in their head make them think that you're doing one thing but then you go and you do the other thing which gives you just that much of an advantage over them that's what happened on this on that one play that 40 yard pass to Darius Slayton like you said he he's gets to gets to the six he sinks his hips just a little bit and that just caught just slows Slay down a little bit because he has to react as well. And then he just speeds right up and he's so quick to sink his hips and explode back into his route. And after he does that, he stacks on top of Slay, gets behind him, creates separation, and then he's able to adjust and make that catch. It was a phenomenal play by Slayton. And then the we didn't bring up that Jones throw before, but that throw was that was a big boy throw and a great catch by Slayton in traffic. Yeah. Thought he got hurt after the play. Luckily he did not. But uh, according to uh, Pro Football Focus, Darius Slayton was targeted five times when Darius Slay was covering him. Slayton caught four of those for 71 yards and two first downs, one of them being that 40-yard catch. And Darius Slay is one of the best cornerbacks in the league, so there's definitely something to be said about that. And it's definitely a uh, fun thing on Twitter, you know, Darius Slay versus Darius Slayton. Slayton definitely got the better of him. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I also wanted to bring up something before as we I kind of didn't get to when we were talking about the offensive line. If you guys want to see an example of what I think is just textbook close to damn perfect pass protection take a look at the second and nine from the eagles 35 with 1006 left i believe in quarter four yeah 1006 left in the fourth quarter it's the classic slant flat combo that the giants basically is like a staple of their playbook and they connect on this for a 16 yarder to darius slayton this is just this is blocked so well jones has a fully clean pocket to step into and throw this ball i mean the separation's there darius slayton ran a really good route that is obviously part of it but if you just want to see an example of improvement and textbook pass pro it's this play in my mind every offensive lineman on that play blocks excellently but the one who would have to take the cake there was a metaphorical cake to be taken it would definitely have to be nick gates who just washes number 76 all the way to the other side of the line of scrimmage technique isn't necessarily perfect at first but he's just able to just take him and just drive him just use raw strength to just get him out of the way daniel jones has no one in front of him because the pocket was so good that's how clean this pocket was there's literally no one near jones it's awesome and it's this classic slant flat that they run all the time but a lot of the times this play has been really blown up based on the pass protection this is a perfect example of the complete opposite happening 
and Slayton too at the top of his break in oh, yeah. for the slant he uses his hands to kind of disengage from Slay and kind of stuns him a little bit it wasn't OPI or anything no. like that he wasn't doing a Mike Evans but it was something some kind of way to kind of disrupt him and make him not pursue him on the inside break just made him hesitate that much because that's stunned with his hand combat which is another thing that wide receivers do at the top of their breaks when they use their hands like that quickly and effectively where it's not OPI and it's in within legal bounds Slayton has been kind of coming along with that specific skill set I'd say this season no doubt I agree he's an improving player and he's still really young anyone else specifically you want to talk about that was what really stood out to me I think obviously Gallman had a really good game Gallman saved the red zone opportunity on that first and ten first and goal from the 10 where he turned that into an eight yard gain um i've seen so many times the giants get bogged down there we talked about that already on the last pod though who else did you want to flat anybody else you wanted to give a tip to the hat to i think uh evan ingram had one really nice block in this game in the run game that i want to put on twitter just to give him a shout out because we kind of rag on him in the run game there's also sterling shepherd doing his thing just being very very consistent and being where he needs to be and then you just can't say enough about Wayne Gallman either because he's just been hitting his holes and he finishes his runs incredibly physically. And just I also want to bring up one thing before we end this. Special teams. Riley Dixon had a phenomenal game punting the football and pinning the Eagles within the 20 on all four of his punts. And I think he definitely deserves to be applauded. No doubt about it. Nick. As does Jabril. Oh, yeah. Jabril has added juice to this return game in a way that the Giants really need. He Just another aspect, and we'll talk about Jabril a lot on this next show, but just another reason why I think Jabril has really inserted himself as a must-resign player and really, to me, is the key component for why that Odell Beckham trade ultimately was an excellent trade for the Giants. I mean, to me, based on the timing of the deal, it's a lock great deal for the Giants. If the Giants had waited another year with Beckham, his trade value was about to completely tank like it has for the Browns. The Browns couldn't even get anything for him this offseason if they tried to float him. And no one knows if they did try to trade him. Some people believe they did. They're going to try to trade him for sure this offseason before they cut him, which is ultimately what I think will happen based on the dead cap that there's not much to it. Um, and now at this point, he's just been injured so many times and th- that lower body has just taken a toll. But they're not going to get anything when they try to trade him this offseason. Maybe a three, maybe a three and a five, something like that. But if the Giants had waited another season, it was going to get really ugly with Odell Beckham. I mean, you don't, you, if you think that it, things were going to stay or get better for a guy who at, on week two of a regular season went on ESPN and didn't say he liked playing with his quarterback or like being in New York. And after signing a $90 million deal. After signing a $90 million deal and consistently threw his hands up when the ball didn't come his way or when it was overthrown on the sideline, brought incredibly bad body language to the wide receiver group, and had his own set of rules in the locker room with the media, with the teammates. That wasn't going to get better, I don't think. So kudos to Dave Gettleman in my mind. But what makes that trade big, in my mind, is getting two players out of it, not just Dexter Lawrence, who's an IDL, who in my mind, IDLs impact the game in some way. But when you can get a safety out of that who can impact the game the way that Peppers has for this Giants team as a captain, as also a special teams guy, and as the glue in my mind in that secondary, because the secondary looked a lot worse when he was out, that's what makes that deal in my mind. So we'll talk about more of that later on the defensive show. Uh, Before we sign off today, I just want to give a shout out to all the listeners of the Big Blue Banter podcast. Help us make this what it is. I want to read off a couple great reviews we've gotten lately. For those of you who want to help build the show and grow the show with us, please just do us a favor. Give us a rating, a review on iTunes. Hopefully it's a five-star review. Kwame Zilla, 
our boy, has upgraded us to a four-star, which really is impressive. I, I check back three to seven times a day to see if Kwame's going to upgrade us to a five-star review, Kwamezilla. But so far, Kwamezilla still has us down as the four-star. It's okay, Kwame. You're still our boy. You've, we've grown to like you. But thank you to Charles, Charles Staz, who said the best of the external giants podcast i really love the in-depth all 22 reviews a lot of great insights without too many apparent biases i find these guys more insightful than their competitors issues the ads are played at too high a level yikes audio is much higher than normal it's over modulates ladies and, and gentlemen distraction. ladies and gentlemen i'm going they do to need to make a this. living however however no we while we do need to make a living and the ads pay the bills that doesn't mean that they have to be read at just incredibly high level. And there you go. There's the train. The member, remember Nick has has a little problem with that conductor on that train. I've heard a lot of – the way he reads those ads, take that and times the decibel by seven <laughs> times. That's the way he speaks about this conductor. Who Hate blares the conductor. That, who blares, this conductor he's never met before in his life and doesn't even know if this conductor is obligated by his job to blow that horn that he many is. times. And therefore, it's not, not his that fault. Many times. <laughs> not that many times. He's obligated to blow it, though, for sure. Well, listen, I don't even know if blow is the right word. You're going to honk the horn. I don't even know what you do with a you horn pull on a train. It's you like pull a, the yeah, horn. Yeah, you pull the horn. You pull the horn. I've never seen one of those trains. I don't even know who's taking NJ Transit these days. But another one from Ponyboy Dill. Another five-star review. Thank you, Ponyboy Dill. Thank you, Pony Love Boy. this pod. Listen every week. Love the post-game reactions. The All-22 breakdowns are so insightful, particularly Nick's breakdown of the offensive line. There you go. A little kudos, props to Nick, who's been getting bashed lately. I'm usually the one who's used to taking the bashing. I'm the one, so and I can deal with it. I can handle it. Nick has a little more sense than this little, <laughs> little, little sensitive boy. So, Nick, you got to be careful with Nick. But he actually says, I actually I so. enjoy Dan's rants about the about all things Giants, positive or negatives. Doubt there is many better team-focused pods out there. Keep it up, guys. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's taken the time. And for those of you who haven't but want to help us out, hop on iTunes, give us a five-star review, write a little rating, or I'm sorry, rating, and write a little review, and we'll feature it on the pod. For those of you who also want to help grow the show, the Big Blue Banter Instagram, NY Big Blue Banter, is now over 500 followers. If you're not one of those 500, do us a favor. Hop on your Instagram account that you probably look at way too many times per day because I am also one of those people who somehow found himself addicted to something I never thought I would be. As someone who very rarely posts any photos for myself on Instagram but somehow enjoys the mindless scrolling through that app, do us a favor. Check it out. Hit your search bar. Type in NY Big Blue Banter and hit that follow button. If you want to also help us grow the show, let us know ways that we can make the podcast more interactive better for you guys we're going to do a q and don't know if you guys like the live q a we did a couple weeks ago we want to do another one of those we're going to do a big q a pod coming up we might even try to start to incorporate questions on each podcast on the all 22s uh not the reaction videos but on the all 22s i've noticed that some people have asked for that as well but do us a favor hit us up on twitter let us know ways that we can improve the experience for you guys because ultimately that's what it's all about thanks again to everybody who tuned in today's show and stay tuned because in your podcast feed you are about to see the defensive all 22 breakdown podcast drop and please 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 make sure you download every single pod don't just listen download thanks again and we'll talk to you soon
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.